listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we're going to continue our series that's leading us into Easter. Um, we're studying the journey of the life of Jesus from the cradle to the cross. The first week of the series, we looked at the, the childhood of Jesus. The second week, we looked at his ordination service as a rabbi at his baptism. Then the third week, Pastor Andrew preached about the first miracle that Jesus performed, turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. And then last week, um, we looked at the group of very average misfits that Jesus chose to be his disciples. And, and it's almost as if Jesus knew that the effectiveness of the gospel must be carried in the hands of common men and common women. It's the way he's designed this. Um, it, it, it's like this. Everyone expects me, the preacher, the pastor, they expect me to get up here and share the good news. Everyone expects the priest, the rabbi. They expre- expect someone who, whose occupation is, is, is that of a spiritual calling. They expect that person to get up and share the good news. But Christ designed it in such a way that he put the good news in the hands of faithful men and women. And they are the effectiveness of spreading this word. And it worked. It worked. Now today, today we're going to get Jesus to the cross. But I need to warn you in advance because I don't want anyone being upset with me. I don't want anyone stopping me in the foyer. I don't want any emails. I don't want any phone calls. I don't want text messages. But I'm going to warn you. Even though we know that he is resurrected, he is a resurrected king, amen? Today, we're going to leave him on the cross, okay? With this message, we know he's not there, we know he's not, but today, at the end of this message, we're going to leave Jesus on the cross. I don't want any hate mail, uh, and so at the end of the sermon, I'm going, going to in, intentionally leave you wanting more, okay? You're, you're going to want, and you can, you can get more. You just got to show up next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to celebrate that, Amen? Man, but um, today we're going to leave we're going to leave him on the cross and um, uh, getting to the cross. Uh, let, let me say this: as I as I walk through this sermon today, I guess this is kind of a disclaimer for you. There's going to be moments where I, I I want you just to understand the significance of the cross of Christ, and and honestly, I want it just to stir in your spirit for a week. That's one of the reasons why I want to do this today. I just kind of want it just to simmer for a week and let us think about it because, man, this is that week. This is that week that if we ever, if we ever need to contemplate the cross, it's this week. And so know that this is very intentional. Today is is commonly known as Palm Sunday, as Pastor Zach mentioned earlier. This is the day that we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Sunday before his crucifixion on Friday. And, and it, it was two different worlds from, from his triumphant entry to Jerusalem on Sunday to what happens to him on Friday. It, it is two different worlds. You would not even believe it was the same city. There was once this little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday and, and he had to stay home from church with his mom. And his father went to church and when he returned, he came home holding a palm branch in his hand. And the little boy was curious and he said, Daddy, why do you have that palm branch? And the dad answered. He said, you see, son, when Jesus came into town riding a donkey, he said, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. 
So today at church, we got palm branches. And the little boy replied, he said, oh, shucks. The one Sunday I miss, and that's the day Jesus shows up. <laughs> Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. If you have your Bible or your digital device, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible or a digital device with the Bible app or any way you can read it, will be on the screen for you today. Matthew chapter 21. I want to read verses 1 through 11. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And, and this is that moment, church, where Matthew refers back to an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah 9 and 9. I will, we'll get back to this in a moment, but Zechariah 9 and 9 is what Matthew is quoting here. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on, their, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We don't know how many times Jesus actually visited Jerusalem. We don't get a count in scripture. The gospel of John mentions uh, him visiting Jerusalem on four different occasions. We know that the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they mention Jesus visiting Jerusalem during his final days of his earthly ministry. We know that Luke did mention that Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem in order to present him before the Lord. We know that, uh, as we have already explored, Luke tells us the story of Jesus at 12 years old when his parents found him at the temple sitting among the teachers. Luke 2 and 47 tells us, And all who heard, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So everyone that heard him there at the temple, they, they, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, church, it's ironic that perhaps some of the very same teachers of the law that marveled at his knowledge when he was 12 years old were ready to kill him now that he's age 33. Some of the same people that were astonished at what he knew and what he understand and even the questions that he asked, they now want to kill him. In the very city where he was approved <clears throat> at the age of 12, he would be apprehended at uh, 21 years later. But not yet. We're not there yet. That's just a preview of today's episode. We'll, we'll get there in a moment. On Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on a young donkey. Jerusalem <clears throat> was popping on that day. It was busy because it was Passover week. If you don't know about Passover, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it was one of the three festivals during which the Jews made a pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem. And during Passover, they would celebrate the Exodus, which was the liberation of the Hebrews, the Jewish nation, from, from Egyptian bondage. This was the first occasion, this moment that, that we just read about, 
is the first occasion that Jesus publicly embraced that he was the Messiah. Up until this point, he had alluded to it in private conversations with his, his inner circle. But he had yet to make a public statement that he was the Messiah. Yet some of those people that were standing there cheering him on as he enters into Jerusalem, they understood this because they were calling him the son of David, which would have been the Messiah. One of my favorite times with my kids when they were younger, just, just real little growing up, was that we would spend a lot of birthdays, a lot of their birthdays at Disney World. Um, it, it's something that we all enjoyed as a family, and, and when our kids were little, we just we would often, uh, we, well, one, we didn't want to have birthday parties and invite a bunch of kids to our house, so we, we, would, we would take our kids out of town, so that's, that's what we did. And so we, um, we, we would take them to Disney World, and, and it never failed. We would stay for that, that Main Street parade that happens at the end of the night. We would stay, every, every time we went, we would stay to the end. And, and the reason why is because our kids loved it so much, especially my daughter, Kendall. Now, she's not here today, but, but Kendall, she loved that parade. And the reason why, um, it was because of the princesses. All of the Disney princesses. Because, let's face it, Kendall's a princess. That's... And I would take Kendall and I would put her on my shoulders and she would watch. And we have pictures of this. We have video of it. And, and she would watch as all of those different princesses would come by. And it was like they knew it was Kendall. Year after year, they knew it was Kendall. Because they would look down. They would, they would point at her. They would wave. They would blow her kisses. And she'd look at us and she'd be like, they remember me, you know. <laughs> Bless her heart, she had no idea that there was a whole, you know, slew of Cinderella's like you know whoever was on call that night whoever was was on the schedule that night she had no idea but some somehow some way they always managed to make eye contact with her wave at her blow her a kiss or at least that's what Kendall believed never mind the 50 other little girls that are all on Main Street standing within 25 feet of her that they're also making eye contact with blowing kisses to and and they all feel like the princess is looking directly at them also. Needless to say, if we ever went to Disney, we stayed until the parade was over because the parade was the highlight of the night for us. This festive week of Passover in Jerusalem, it would begin with the parade of all parades. It, it was pretty great because according to Old Testament prophecy, specifically uh, of the prophet Daniel, the Messiah would be making his debut. Now remember, hundreds of years earlier, he's prophesying this. And he said that the Messiah would make his debut at this particular Passover celebration. That's what Daniel prophesied. Daniel would prophesy that 483 years after the, de the decree to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem was given, that the anointed one, the Messiah, would show up. Zechariah would prophesy that the Messiah would show up uh, on a donkey, uh, on a coal, on the foal of a donkey. And so everything was lining up. And perhaps, I, I'm just saying that perhaps, maybe, there were some people who had done the math and they knew that something special was going to happen at this particular Passover. Maybe someone read the prophecies and, and just started figuring it up and said, you know what? This, this could be the year. If, if my numbers are right, this could be the year. This could be the day that the long-awaited Messiah finally shows up and sets up his kingdom. 
So two of the disciples were sent into Jerusalem to find the young donkey that Jesus was going to, to ride into Jerusalem with. Let me talk about that just for a moment. In, in most homecoming parades, whether it be high school or, or college, maybe you like going to the UF parade, when the homecoming court is riding by, usually they, they've got some nice vehicle. Maybe it's an, an antique car that the, the, the prince or princess is sitting on. Or, 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 or maybe it's a convertible. I, I know that, that throughout the years, different Jeeps that I've owned have, have been in different you know, high school homecoming parades. And, and even I've seen some people in the room that have participated and rode in, in, in my Jeep. And one time, unfortunately, my Jeep broke down and messed one young lady up. I'm so sorry, Sydney. I, I looked at you and saw you, and I was like, she hates this message right now. And uh, <laughs> yeah. um, So you got all these, these people driving by in, in, in their nice, the homecoming court coming by in their nice vehicles. But then the king and queen comes by. And rather than being in a nice convertible, an antique car, they come by in a minivan. It, any minivan owners in the room? I mean, any, anyone? Be, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of this. This is, this is I mean, it, it, you know, because one thing about them, they're dependable. They're a workhorse. They do what needs to be done. And if you've got a bunch of kids, you need a minivan. If you've got kids with friends, you need a minivan. And so, you know, they, they do, they accomplish what they need, to, but they're not much to look at, right? I mean, it gets the job done, but you're not going to put it in a car show. You're not going to win first place with a minivan, right? You're like, you haven't seen my minivan. <laughs> Neither of you. Um, it's kind of what it was like for Jesus to come riding in town on a donkey. Why would the king of kings show up in this ticker tape parade Riding a donkey, of all animals, why? Because a donkey is not one of the most admired animals amongst God's creation. It's not like we look at the donkey and go, man, that is a good-looking donkey, you know? <laughs> there were other animals that would have been more majestic, more fitting for a king. I mean, just a horse. I mean, you put a horse next to a donkey, the horse wins every time. It's just a better-looking animal. It, it looks stronger. It's bigger. It's just, unless it's a mini horse, and those are awesome too, right? But, but he could have come riding on, on a full-size horse, a thoroughbred. He could have rode a thoroughbred. Even this, I, I got to thinking about this. What if Jesus would have come walking in or, or driving up in, into the streets of Jerusalem on the day that the Messiah is supposed to show up? It's been prophesied. What if he comes up and he's riding an elephant? Wouldn't that be majestic? I don't know, there's this scene in The Greatest Showman at, towards the end of the movie where he comes riding down the street to, to greet his wife and kids and he's, he's riding an elephant. And I'm like, that's a flex move right there, man. Because if I had access, to, I would ride one to, to church every Sunday. I'd leave it parked right out here. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I mean, it's majestic. It, it's, it's bigger than life. But here's what you gotta understand. In many Middle Eastern traditions, the symbolism of the donkey is an animal of peace. The horse always symbolized war. And so a king would come riding on a horse when he was bent on war. Like, like this is going to be a time of war. He'd come riding on a horse, but he would ride a donkey when he wanted to point out 
I come in peace. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, it says that Solomon, King Solomon, rode a donkey on the day that he was recognized as the new king of Israel. His father David was a warrior king. When you think about the life of David, he was a great military leader. And I've said this numerous times, but you have to understand how primitive it was life. I mean, life was, was a lot more advanced in the New Testament than it was in the Old Testament. So primitive. When they, when they shouted, when the women and children shouted, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands, it's not an exaggeration. David was a ruthless warlord. He had a sensitive side to him, and, and, and he could play the harp, and he could write some songs. But David, make no doubt about it, this guy was a beast on the battlefield, and he killed a lot of people. All you got to do is go back and read the Old Testament. Read about King David, and you'll see this guy was ruthless. He was a king of war, and, and, and Solomon was going to rule differently. God had different plans for him. He was going to, to rule in a peaceful way. First Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 9, God tells David these words. He says, but you will have a son who will be a man of peace. I will give him peace with his enemies and all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. How many of you just, just, you just want peace and quiet around your home, right? I mean, that's all you want right now. You're just like, God, why'd you give me these kids? I mean, they're, they're a blessing most of the time, but God, how can I shut them up? You know, why, mommy? Why? Why, daddy? Why? Why God invented the word why? I'll never know. I'll never know. We just want peace and quiet. God says, I'm going to give Solomon that peace and quiet. David, he's not going to be like you. He's not going to be a king of war. He's going to be a king of peace. So David insisted that Solomon ride a donkey on his, on, on his day of coronation. At his coronation ceremony, he insisted, my son is going to ride a donkey because God told me he will be a king during time of peace. So why was it imperative that Jesus would ride a donkey also? You see, church, no doubt about it, Jesus was the Messiah, and he was about to save not only Israel, but he was about to save all mankind from our sin. And he wouldn't need to be forceful about it. You see, that's what people don't understand about our Jesus. They've got, they've, they've, they've got a, a, a misconstrued image of who Jesus really is. Jesus doesn't move in with force. Jesus doesn't just move in and take over. Jesus is a king of peace. As a matter of fact, when they arrested him, and, 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 and we're going to get there, but, but when they arrested him, they, he, they didn't take his life. When they crucified him, they didn't take his life. Jesus gave his life. And he didn't put up a fight in the process because he's a king of peace. 1 John 3 and 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. He laid down, he chose to give his life. No one took it. It's easy for us to read scripture and think, well, the Jews crucified him or the Romans crucified him. No, neither one. No one killed Jesus. Jesus freely gave his life. He, he became a ransom for many by freely giving his life. And on this particular day, on, on, at this parade, the Prince of Peace entered Jerusalem not to take over the city, but to take on our sins. That, and, and no one could understand that. That's not the Messiah they were hoping for. That's not the Messiah they were looking for. They wanted a Messiah that was going to come in and rule with their iron fist. They wanted one that was going to take over. But the, the Prince of Peace showed up on the scene 
not to take over, but to take on our sins. The word began to spread that a historic event was taking place and people started gathering in the streets to see it. So, so Jesus was met with great fanfare. John tells us that people heard Jesus was coming and multitudes started filling the streets just to see this parade. According to Matthew 21 and 9, the crowd was shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. That's how we knew some of them knew that he was the Messiah. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This was a great celebration. Did he deserve it? Yes. Did he need it? No. He says the difference between Christ and most of us. We need that, that affirmation. He deserved it. But Jesus didn't need it. He didn't show up that day just so they could, they, they, they could scream Hosanna at him, shout Hosanna at him, and, and just to worship him. That's not why he showed up. He wasn't on an ego trip. He was making a statement that day that I am the Messiah. And as you guessed, his week would not remain peaceful. The, the, the Prince of Peace shows up in Jerusalem not putting up a fight, but it would not remain peaceful. The city of Jerusalem was overflowing with people there to celebrate Passover. So, so Jesus stayed in Bethany each night, probably at the home of Lazarus. And it was about a two-mile walk uh, uh, to, to Jerusalem almost daily. And so that week, spending that week, that final week of Passover in Jerusalem with his disciples, he, he's, he's on foot every day, back and forth, back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem. And, and at night, he would always go back to Bethany. But, but, but let's look at the week really quick. On Monday, he, he would look about, out over the, the city and he would weep over the city of Jerusalem. He, he had such sorrow for them. And then he would walk into to Jerusalem and he would cleanse the temple. On Tuesday, he teaches his disciples about faith through a withered fig tree. On Wednesday, Jesus stays outside the city, but, but, but something significant was happening inside the city because Judas and the Sanhedrin, they were meeting and, and organizing this way to, for, for Judas to betray Jesus and, and for them to arrest him. On Thursday, he eats the Passover meal with his disciples. He institutes communion and then he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane, and it's there that Jesus is arrested. On Friday, he is tried six times between 2 a.m. and 10 a.m. Six times he goes to trial. That means they, 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 as soon as one trial would end and it didn't end the way that they wanted it to, they would immediately try him again. They were breaking all of their own rules because they were hell-bent on making sure that he had to pay. And, and, and so six times between 2 a.m. and 10 a.m., three of those were religious. They, they were Jewish trials, and three of them were civil Roman trials. The religious court found him guilty all three times. The civil court found him innocent all three times. And here's what's so interesting about this. Same city, but the crowd that once shouted Hosanna were now screaming, crucify him crucify him, crucify him. They went from love and adoration to hate in less than a week. Church, let me tell you, be careful. Be careful because those who compliment you today may crucify you tomorrow. Hear me out. Be careful. And I'm not, I'm not saying that everyone who gives you a compliment is going to stab you in the back. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
I'm telling you to be careful because what you don't want to do is you don't want to learn to thrive off someone else's adoration of, of you. You've got to be careful because those who compliment you today might crucify you tomorrow. Don't focus on the approval of the crowd. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Galatians 1 and 10. He said, for, I am, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, in trying to please man, you, you cannot be a servant of Christ. You've got to focus on pleasing God and not man. Uh, Jesus didn't need the approval of the crowd. He had the approval of the creator. And he knew that the crowd could be fickle. I mean, there was one time when he is, is teaching on, on communion long before communion. And he starts talking about his blood. And as he's talking about the, 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 the cleansing of sin with his blood, there's people that could not handle it. And the Bible says that, that a multitude of his followers left him at that moment. Jesus knew that the crowd can be fickle. Don't trust the crowd. Don't trust all of the words of approval. You don't need the approval of mankind because mankind can be wishy-washy. They can be with you one second and against you the next. And they'll support you when you're, when you're popular and they'll stab you in the back when you're not. And I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going I'm to say it and I'm going to move on. But listen, I've, in my office, I've got emails. I've got cards. I've got letters I, I, from people that, that in one season, they thought that I hung the moon. Like I was the best pastor on the planet. I can prove it. They, they sent it to me. I have it. Only to turn their backs and crucify me with their words. Church, listen to me. I learned a long time ago, never take the compliments too seriously. Mm-mm. They will fade, and when they do, if that is your fuel for living, you'll be left on the side of the road empty and wanting. Jesus did not need the approval of humanity. He only needed the approval of heaven, and he understood that. Finally, Jesus is handed over to be crucified. After he is beaten, he is crowned with, with a crown of thorns. He's forced to carry his own cross and around 9 a.m., they nail him to that cross on a hillside. And they set that cross in the rock. And for the next six hours, get this, for the next six hours, he hangs on a cross between heaven and earth. Man, if that's not significant for us. That the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hangs on a cross between heaven and earth, he becomes that bridge for humanity. If we want to have communion with the Father again, we've got to cross the cross. We've got to cross that bridge. We've got to understand what the cross means for us. And for six hours, he hangs between heaven and earth. But this is where it gets very interesting. Stay with me. I'm almost done. I promise you. But th this, is, this is so interesting. The Old Testament book of Numbers, I believe it's chapter 21. It, it, it tells us that the children of Israel were bitten by snakes, by serpents. And many of them died. They're in the wilderness, and, and they, get, they, they were bitten by snakes, and, and, and they die. God told Moses to build a bronze serpent and set it up on a pole. He said, I want, I want you to construct this bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, and everyone who was bitten by, by these serpents, if you'll have them look at that pole, they, they'll be healed and they will live. Even today, those of you in the medical field, you know this. Even today, modern medicine has a symbol of a stick and a snake to represent healing. That's where it comes from. 
It comes from the wilderness and what God told Moses to do. Bronze serpent on a pole. Everyone looks to it. They're healed. Medical science has taught us that sometimes you have to use the very thing that caused the illness to find a cure for the illness. Antivenom. Antivenom is is made ultimately from the snake's venom. That's where it starts. Take the snake's venom, venom, they they inject it into an animal, and then they they use the antibodies from that in order to treat us with antivenom. The flu shot. The flu shot. They are taking the virus, and they are putting it in your bloodstream for you to develop antibodies to be able to fight against the flu. They take the very thing that caused the illness... And, 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 and they use it to find a cure. Moses had to beat the brass and make it look like the thing that bit the people. He had to construct the very thing. He had to make a serpent, the thing that bit the people. Once the brass looked like the thing that bit the people, then you have to lift it up high. I don't know who's tracking with me right now, but man, this has to get exciting. John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said these words. He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He said, just like that serpent was lifted up, he says, I'm going to be lifted up. And whoever looks to me, whoever looks to the cross of Christ, they may have eternal life. Understand this, at his birth, where we started this series, at his birth, Jesus became one of us. He became the very thing that caused the illness in the first place, the illness of sin. He became the very thing that caused the problem. And then they lifted him up, and anyone who looks up and calls on the name of Jesus is healed of their sins. And then his last words before he died was, It is is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost now these words it is finished they usually carry with them a negative assumption when you hear someone say it's finished it's like it's over it's done with during our lifetime we will all experience it's it's over done with moments some of you have already been there Maybe, maybe it's your job some of you know what it feels like to get that pink slip you've been laid off from work and, and your job has been terminated. Or, or maybe you were upset and, and, uh, on the job and, and you terminated yourself or you terminated your contract yourself. You said, I'm, I'm done with this place. I'm finished with this place. And you stormed out. You know what that feels like. It's done. It's over with. Maybe it was a divorce or, or a breakup that you had to go through and, and you or the other person said, I'm done. I'm, I'm finished with this. It's, it's, it's over or maybe you had a loved one who was sick and, and, and fighting an illness, and, and then you get that dreaded phone call, and they tell you, it is finished. They have taken their last breath. And in our everyday situations, it is finished carries with it a negative end to something that, that was better before it was over. And so when we hear those words, and, and we picture Jesus on a cross, and he says it is finished, and we watch him die, it doesn't feel very triumphant. But what I need you to understand is although this series, start to finish, although this series ends today, what I need you to understand is you don't need to look at this as a series finale. I may not be preaching on this same subject anymore, but this is 
not a series finale. This is more of a season finale. For those of you that like to binge watch, you know what I'm talking about. They will leave you wanting more at the end of the previous season. But the story's not over. There's another season that's coming. I think someone has to understand today, you you can't give up on this season that you're in right now. Because God's not done. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's still writing the next chapter. And some of you, you get so hung up in the last chapter and and you can't move past that. And you get stuck there and you think that that's going to define the rest of your life. That last season, that last chapter of your life does not have the power to define you unless you allow it to because God's not finished writing your story. That just has the power to become a testimony. It was tough. It was trying. It, It felt like at the moment it was defining you, but don't let it. Don't let it. Because God still has the pen in hand and God is still writing your life story. God's still got so much good for you. God wants to accomplish amazing things with your life. Don't let that season keep you from it. Don't give up at the end of the season. Because it is finished can also mean it is accomplished, it's fulfilled, it's completed. It means the job is done. The work here is complete. Do you remember at the beginning of this series, I think it was week two that we looked at it, maybe, maybe the first week, we we're talking about Jesus at 12 at the temple, and when Mary and Joseph came, they find, find him, you know, they, they lost him for a few days, they lost God, you remember all that, and they, they finally find God. Jesus answers his, his mom and he says why were you looking for me didn't you know that I would be about my father's business when he said it is finished it was the father's business that was complete because the reason Christ came to this earth was to become one of us the very thing that caused the sin in the first place to become one of us and to reconcile us back with the Father so that we can spend eternity with Him that's the reason He came and it was death on that cross that spotless Lamb a man that knew no sin but took on the sin took on my sin took on your sin the one that knew no sin became our sin and he dies on that cross. And on that, in that moment, he says, it is finished. The father's business was now complete. He knew at age 12 what he had to do. Imagine a painter standing back from the canvas after he finishes painting a masterpiece. And he's admiring the magnificent work that, that he has just finished. And as he stands and looks at this big painting, and he looks at it and he says... It is finished. It's finished. It, this job is finally done. There is nothing more that I can do to improve this painting. You see, God created man, and the Creator asked creation to become creative be fruitful and multiply. You go be creative. You're made in my image. You go be creative. He puts the paintbrush in our hands, tells us to be creative. 
And we mess it up, man. We just make a mess of it. Sin, rebellion, we, just, we rebel against God, against his word. We don't trust him. And we just make a mess out of all of it. And God lets humanity live that way for quite some time because he knows that he is sending a promise. And the promise is Jesus Christ, his son. When Jesus Christ is born, God says, give me the paintbrush back and let me fix this thing. He takes the paintbrush into his hands and he starts painting And it's at that moment on the cross when he finishes that work and he says, it's perfect. There's nothing more I can do to make their life any better. All they have to do is look up to the one that is raised on the cross, accept him as their Lord, and then they are made perfect in my image. That's it. He takes the paintbrush back and he recreates the masterpiece and he fixes it and says, there's nothing more that I can do to make it any better. It is finished. See, we have this tendency to go through life letting the pressures of life and the disappointments of life get us down. And, 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 and church, hear me. When, when you feel like it's over, when you feel like, man, this, this season has just done me in. I, I don't know if I can, uh, this chapter of my life is probably the last chapter because I don't know if I'll recover from this. When you feel like it's over, when you feel like you are done, when you feel like you are finished, just remember, he said it first. He said it's finished first before you did. And when he said it is finished, he was looking at you with a sense of accomplishment. All you have to do is receive it and accept it. That's it. So I know that there's people in this room, people watching online, that they need a relationship with Jesus. I know that. I know they need forgiveness. I know that they need their sins to be cleansed and no one else can do that except Jesus he reconciled us to the father but we have to be willing to look to the cross and accept it we've got to look at Jesus on that cross and say you did that for me I'm going to accept that into my life and receive that forgiveness now we know we know he didn't stay dead we know that we'll get there next week but because of the resurrection we also will be resurrected and we have eternal life. So not only are we forgiven, but we have eternity with Jesus Christ also. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, please no one looking around, please be be reverent of this moment. If you're here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to make this so easy for you. I will not embarrass you. I'm not asking you to stand. I'm not asking you to, to come forward. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to know who I'm praying for. And I want you to be very honest with me right now. If you need forgiveness, if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, if you want to know that you have eternity with with God, if you want to know that that is set, I want you to raise your hand high right now. Just raise it high. I will not embarrass you, I promise. But raise that hand high. Say, Pastor, please just pray for me. Please pray for me. I need Jesus. Thank you someone else someone else just raise your hand high and say pastor I I need forgiveness I want forgiveness today I want to know that I'm forgiven amen put your hands down thank you 
church, you can look up. There's two people in this room that said, I need Jesus and I, I need forgiveness in my life. And, and I praise God that they're willing to admit that. Amen. Amen. I know that there's many others that are watching at the FWRC and, and maybe some others watching online right now. Listen to me. Listen to me. We're going to give you the courage you need to say this prayer, to make Jesus the Lord of your life and for you to receive this forgiveness. We're not going to leave you alone. We're going to give you strength right now because we're going to say it with you. You know who you are. You know who you are. But this is going to be a prayer that I pray, but I need it to be your prayer. Make my words your words as we pray to a holy God that is the only one that has the ability to forgive you. But because of what his son has done, you are forgiven. So church, let's look to heaven and let's say it together. Say, dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again, giving me eternal life. And today, I make him the Lord of my life. In his name I pray, amen, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace and mercy, Lord. Amen. Now listen to me. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of service. Our, our prayer team, they always come to the front to pray with anyone who has a need in your life. If anyone has a need, uh, when we're dismissed, you can you just come down here and, and, and tell them what your need is. But listen, if you gave your heart to Christ today, I'm going to ask you to have the courage to do this. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before the Father. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. He has saved you from your sin. He saved me from us. I'm not ashamed to tell you. I'm a child of God because of Jesus Christ. I made him the Lord of my life. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. When we're dismissed and everyone's walking out of this room, come down to one of our prayer team members and tell them, today I made Jesus the Lord of my life. If you forget what to say, they'll help you. And when you tell them that, it's not a way to gather information. They're going to give you a book that tells you all about your next steps. We want to invest that into your life. Only thing you have to do is say, today I made Jesus the Lord of my life. That's it. And I encourage you to do that. Amen. Now let me talk to others in this room just for a moment. I believe that there's people in this room that this season that you're in or maybe a season that has passed that has left you wounded and scarred, betrayed, broken, jaded. You've almost let it define you. And it's not the life that God has for you. You're a child of God. It's not finished until he says it's done. And he's still writing your story. And sometimes the best thing you can do during your darkest hours is just to praise your way right out of it. I'm not promising you that you're going to immediately have a, a, a change of fortune. I'm not promising you that immediately you're going to feel completely different about yourself. But I will tell you this. You'll feel different about him. The problem sometimes is that we take a God who does not need to be magnified. The reason we have to magnify him is because our image of him has become so small. Your God is great and greatly to be praised. And I'm going to invite you today to join with this band. And before we walk out of this room, let's create God in the image he should be seen, the way he should be worshipped, 
in his greatness and the fullness of his glory and stop letting the enemy diminish our God. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.